Simajaw is brought by Overcast, an independent podcast app for everyone. No paywalls, no premium content, just a podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. And thank you! You're listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location from our respective homes in Chicago and Seattle. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is... Rye the Movie Guy, and sitting alongside us is Phil Me and Phil. Hello, how we doing, boys? This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, we have what we like to call a Review-O-Rama. Review-O-Rama. There it is. Three big films that uh, are out. One is a streamer, and two, I guess we can call them uh, awards darlings. They, these are uh, smaller films that we are guiding the jawheads to Oscar seek Bates. out or stay away from as Oscar bait. But we'll see. We'll see how they both play out. So three reviews, and Matt and I saw all three. This is great, isn't it? I think this is, uh, I wouldn't say a first, but certainly the first time in a while where there's three and all of us saw all three. Right. It really worked out. Two of these I saw at the Toronto International Film Festival, and like I said, one streaming on Netflix. And Matt got a private screening of one of the films at the famed Music Box Theater. We'll, we'll get to that story. Yeah. I mean, you know, I get those all the time, right? Oh, boy. Can't wait to hear it, Matt. Besides that, we have more going on, don't we, Phil? Yes. So much more going on. You could say it's spooky because we are kicking it rolling. It is the last day of October. It is Halloween, and that means it is still Colin Farrell month. So we have a new clip and a new fact for everybody. And I suppose we should tell you the three reviews, Jawheads. They are The Good Nurse, The Banshees of Inishirin, and Decision to Leave. Yes, a lot to talk about with those three films, but there's more. When we don't have a guest, we like to play Stump the Kabinsky. And in honor of Colin Farrell month, it's time for Colin Farrell movie trivia. So get thinking about that, Jawheads. Matt, I think you got a decent shot, and I threw a bonus point in there. So you got six actual points, and all you need to get is three correct. Okay, good. As long as they're, all the questions are about uh, Ben Affleck's Daredevil, I'll be fine. <laughs> Plus, last week we were talking Final Girls on Cinema Jaw. Got a lot of great feedback about our picks and at one point my number one pick was scream and in there i was talking about how great of a series scream is and i mentioned that i do believe it's better than if if you take scream one through five it's actually better than halloween one through five yeah and i say you're off your rocker pal me and matt on that show even said had our differences and we decided let's do cinema Cinema War. war so i got scream Matt's got Halloween one through five. Phil is going to be the judge on this one. Yeah. Oh, boy. Phil, Phil's always a wild card as the judge, but I think I think I got this in the bag. I, I thought the whole time, actually, the exact opposite. I thought, I got this in the bag. Number one, I know Phil likes the Scream movies. I doubt he's seen all five of Halloween. Most people haven't. Well, if there's one thing we can say for certain about Phil Fujiwara, it's that they are a scaredy cat. So I, you guys are really putting me through my courses this week. Don't worry, Phil. Uh, I'll, I'll hold your hand. Thank you. You're but welcome. that doesn't get you preferential treatment. As jam-packed as this jaw is, Matt, we do want to kick it off with a couple of Hollywood headlines, too. Before we even get to our fact, I wanted to hear your thoughts, Matt, on this one. Since you're a comic book movie expert, James Gunn is officially taking over as the DC film guru. He's basically the leader now, the head honcho over at DC Films. How do you feel about that? Well, I, I, I guess DC couldn't have done worse. He's certainly the best candidate. The one DC film that he did, The Suicide Squad, is probably one of their best. It's almost hard to argue against it being the best. So well, yeah. that's D- DCEU, right? Not right. just DC films, because then you're talking all the Batman movies, the Nolan Batman That's what you movies. were talking about, right? He's going to be the DCEU guy. It says just DC films in general. So I think he's going to have a lot of like input on where they go 
directional on, on everything DC wow. film related. So, well, like I said, I think he's a great candidate for this job. He's going to do great. That, that, yeah. that bodes well for DC's future. I, I agree. I'm excited about that as well, because uh, I, I vibe with the James Gunn films, you know, so bring on more. Other Hollywood headline that just came out yesterday, length of films seem to be getting, I think, in a lot of ways longer. And it was revealed that Avatar Way of the Water runtime will be three hours and 14 minutes. This is supposed yeah. to be a blockbuster that, you know, you need a shorter runtime to play more times in a theater. Three hours and 14 minutes. How do you feel on that, Matt? You know how I feel about Avatar in general. So that seems bloated. It seems unlikely to be able to support. But I know it's going to be dazzling visually. The, the script is going to be suspect, just like it was in the first Avatar. But there's been three-hour movies that have been blockbusters, like Return of the King springs right. to mind. And actually, the last uh, Avengers film toppled in, I think, at like three hours and two minutes or three, three hours and four minutes. And obviously, you know, made a boatload you know, a couple billions of dollars at the box office. So it can be done, but I don't and it know. will. It, he's going to do it. This movie's going to make a boatload of dough. So, yeah, I have no doubt it'll be successful. We will be talking about Avatar Way of the Water, I'm sure, upon its release in December, Matt. Yeah, I'm actually looking forward to it, if nothing else, then for the spectacle of it. For sure. No doubt about it. And that's James Cameron at his best. Speaking at his best, how about Phil with a Colin Farrell fact? Yes, and this week's is truly something special. Uh, We're closing it off with what I think is easily the most interesting one, and it's a little out of left field, I think. Um, (laughs) Colin Farrell auditioned for the Irish boy band and this is actually what they called it, Boyzone. Uh, I've, have you guys heard of this? No. I've, I've never heard of Boyzone. I love it. Through my I research, I, I kind of caught this fact, but yeah, it's ridiculous. I love that this is a real thing that some human beings could audition for. Uh, <laughs> he was, okay, and here's the best part about it as well. Uh, he was approached. For to audition, he was approached because he was dancing at a club, and this is documented. This is what it said. What these words could even mean in a sentence, I don't fully have visual recall of. He was dancing at a club wearing a rubber shirt and tight leather pants when he was approached by Lewis Walsh. Uh, Lewis invited the then unknown Colin to formal auditions at Dublin's Ormond Hotel. Uh, obviously, Colin Farrell went along with this, uh, hopefully wearing that same rubber shirt, leather pants combo. Uh, I almost these... wore that today for Cinema Jaw, my rubber <laughs> right? shirt. Yeah. Can you imagine? I just, I am a naturally sweaty human being, and the idea of a rubber shirt sounds horrible. It sure uh, does. <laughs> I, yeah, what that could possibly... I'm not even going to unpack that can of worms. I, I hope, you know, like it's like latex gloves where maybe it's powdered on the inside. If he was lucky, he got the powdered rubber shirt. Uh, Colin Farrell did audition with the dreams of becoming the next Boyzone megastar. Uh, and, and I guess fortunately or unfortunately for everybody, he did not make the cut. But he has since made it as the Boyzone of many a films and many a hearts. So indeed he has things worked out. I, I can't picture it. And that's why I think it's so damn funny. Imagine Colin Farrell. That was his career. He ended up getting cast into boys zone and he was one of these singers and dancers making all that silly music. It's honestly not fair. I think I would have loved it more. I mean, a lot of, a lot of uh, pop stars have transitioned to film successfully. So there's no saying that, that um, you know, Colin Farrell couldn't still have made the leap to movies, you know? This, this is true. But what have we taken him as seriously as, a, as an actor? A lot of times that takes a long time for people to say, all right, he's actually an actor. Yeah, yeah we does. wouldn't let Mark Wahlberg be in The Lobster. Who are you kidding? Wow, that's a version of that movie I really want to see. <laughs> 
Oh, man. Hey, I got to say, as we wrap up Colin Farrell month with these facts, actually much more interesting and fun than I thought it was going to be with Colin Farrell. So I've learned a lot. He's an interesting dude. He is. Good stuff. All right, Matt. Our first review is the Colin Farrell movie we're even celebrating this month for. Yes. Speaking of Colin Farrell, Ryan, the Banshees of Inishirin is the latest dark comedy from director Martin McDonough, who reunites actors Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson for another crack at that chemistry the trio gave us with In Bruges. Can Banshees be a scream or is it just a whisper? Ryan and I popped off down to the pub for a pint to find out. Colin, Sonny, Larry. Didn't you and he used to be the best of friends? We're still the best of friends. No, you're not. Who says we're not? Sit somewhere else. Now, if I've done something to you, just tell me what I've done to you. Well, you didn't do anything to me. I just don't like you no more. You liked me yesterday. Why does he not want to be friends with you no more? Why is he 12? What the hell's going on with you, me feckin' brother? He's dull, Siobhan. But he's always been done. The other night, two hours, you spent talking to me about the things you found in your little donkey shite that day. Well, it wasn't me little donkey shite. It was me pony shite, which shows how much you were listening. Banshees of Inishirin may well be the most jet black dark comedy I've ever seen. And it may also be my favorite movie of the year. This is a great example of a movie where the less you know, the better. But I'll read you the back of the box text. On a remote island off the coast of Ireland, Paul Rick, played by Colin Farrell, is devastated when his buddy Colm, played by Gleason, suddenly puts an end to their friendship. With help from his sister and a troubled young islander, Paul Rick sets out to repair the damaged relationship by any means necessary. However, as Colm's resolve only strengthens, he soon delivers an ultimatum that leads to shocking consequences, Ryan. This film gives you so damn much to unpack. Isolation, rejection, nihilism, and self-mutilation have never been funnier. You'll be left just asking, why? Why did this character do this? And why did that character react in that way? Even though the movie is on the slow side in terms of pace, it's one that I think will benefit from multiple viewings, as many of the early jokes and situations only become richer in the context of where this movie will take you. The central relationship between the two leads is delightful in its delectable darkness and its deletion of digits, but the supporting cast and their roles must be counted as well. In particular, Carrie Condon as Siobhan and Barry Cogan as Dominic turn in superlative performances that prop the film up like a kickstand. Lastly, the landscape and setting must be mentioned. The island with its stonewall paths nearly feels like another character in the story, you will be absolutely transported by this film. Where Banshees leaves off isn't with too many answers. Those are for you to discover and suss out on your own. And frankly, those are the best ones anyway, Ryan. No doubt about it, Matt. I'm, I'm so glad to hear that you liked Banshees as much as I did. I think you've liked it even more, and I'm a big fan. I'll say this, much like the way Linklater, Ethan Hawke, and Julie Delpy get together every 10 years to make another Before Sunrise... I think we need that out of McDonough, Colin Farrell, and Gleason. Every five to ten years, these three need to make another movie together because the chemistry they have with the writing, the directing, and the acting is fantastic. It, yeah. it's, it's magic in a bottle. So keep it going, guys. Um, this, the plot is simple, and, and yet it does bring so much to the table. I, how about feelings of loneliness, right? Friendships. I, I thought this was the ultimate movie about Matt Kay and Rye the Movie Guy. Oh, I was thinking island, the same thing. <laughs> on an island over in Ireland where there's not much to do other than drink beer and talk movies. This would be us in our, our later years in life, Matt. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I'd be the one saying, leave me alone or I'll <laughs> no. chop off my fingers. No, no, no. I would be the one calling you doll and leave me alone. I got something you to accomplish dullard. in my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious and dark. And let's let's be honest, though, Farrell's performance here, we're celebrating him this month. This is top notch from Colin Farrell. I think throw it in the fish tank, Phil. I don't think he has an Oscar nomination under his belt yet. I think this is the film that gets him an Oscar nomination. What do you think? 
Yeah, well, no, I, I think he may have been nominated for an Oscar as his turn as, uh, as Bullseye in Daredevil. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, or maybe it was Phone Booth. I can't remember. But no, this is Colin Farrell at his absolute best. I mean, he acts so much with his eyes. He plays a character who's who may not be quite as intelligent as Colin Farrell is in real life. Let's just say it that way. That's a nice way of saying it. Sure. Um, Perfect, actually. Who certainly isn't as intelligent as, as Colin Farrell. And he he pulls everything off just in a really human and realistic and believable way. Like I was there with Colin Farrell. And it, it's fun how the film plays with allegiances as to like which character you identify with at, at, at certain times of the story uh, is fantastic. So Gleason, obviously his character is, is supposed to be a little bit older than Farrell's character. He finds him dull and there's this longing for Gleason's character as he gets up in age to feel that he's using those last years of his life to accomplish something. And in this instance, he's actually writing music. And it, I, I found that entire storyline to be extremely interesting. For one, Gleason, was he that much more intelligent than Colin Farrell's character? Did you find it? I, I would just say slightly more. I mean, he, he he was definitely more interested in things, but I think both of them are very closed and sheltered from the overall world being on this isolated island. Well, I mean, I don't know that he ever demonstrates that he's that much smarter. He's certainly a little bit more worldly because we see inside of his house and he's got these decorations and masks from other cultures and stuff. So whether or not he's been around the world or he's just more interested in these things, whereas Colin Farrell's character uh, is very happy to just be at home in his cabin or whatever you want to call it, cottage with his little pet donkey. We Jenny. should mention the donkey. We, we need to mention the donkey. Both men have these pets. Colm has a border collie, which is, you know, just a nice dog. And um, Paul Rick has... Uh, a, a donkey, a little miniature donkey. We also have in the backdrop across on the mainland, the civil war, Ireland's civil war going on. And I right. think that plays into a lot of what McDonough is trying to say here also, is we see these two characters who were friends and had a lot in common um, throughout much of their life, finally sort of separate and almost basically go to war, right? In, in a, to a degree. And isn't that McDonough trying to say how foolish war is, especially in those circumstances? Like we're, we're countrymen together, Certainly. we're friends. And now all of a sudden, just because I said this and you said that we're fighting each other, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's so, like I said in my review, there's so much to unpack. That's definitely one of the messages. There's also, I think McDonough's saying things about legacy and art and it's meaningless. It, meaninglessness you know what i mean um because colm is so obsessed with writing this music and it's just like why you know like what does it really mean he thinks it's about immortality and being remembered but you know i don't know i don't want to spoil too much because it's it's so interesting to think about and then yeah. there's there's the song itself and what does that imply he he talks about banshees and how he thinks they're they're um well again i don't want to spoil it he he changes his opinion on what he thinks Banshees mean. Colm, the character, does. And he, he puts it out in, in a sort of a monologue that has imp interesting implications for another one of the supporting characters. Mm -hmm. But I think the film is interesting um, and going to get a lot of people to talk because what you just said about the, the idea of writing music and art so that you have this feeling of immortality... You're saying just now that it's it's meaningless. I actually took away from the film the importance of art because that is part of your legacy to leave something of yourself once you go. So oh, I saw it, I saw it very much the exact opposite. Like he was he was correct in his idea of trying to create some type of art, make these songs so that he is is remembered and his impact goes further than just his lifespan. Well, that's interesting. I think that you're wrong. I think that uh, also the film is at least in some small way about um, pretentiousness. 
And when the sister, Siobhan, um, talks to Colm about his his legacy and about the mistake he makes at one point um, when he's dating uh, Beethoven, I believe, might have been Mozart, when he says it's from this century, but but she's the smartest one in the room. She eviscerates him and kind of talks about how everyone is boring and the I think what McDonough's trying to say there is that now this isn't important. What you're doing is just more BS. It doesn't really matter. So what what's really important is is friendships, not legacies. Yeah. I, I definitely got that message as well, but I still take away the idea that Gleason's character trying to further his legacy is something that I think is is important to all of us. So yeah, man, I can't wait to watch this again. I, it's so hard to dance around spoilers because there's stuff I want to talk to you about and ask you, like, if you got this from that, but I can't. Right. Well, the other thing is that you mentioned watching it a second time. Definitely the first quarter of the film, I know I'll be laughing a lot more. I, I saw this at, at TIFF late into the festival where I've seen a bunch of movies, and I was not laughing uh, for, like, the first, like, 30 minutes of the movie because... I didn't think that's where it was going to stay the whole time. I didn't know they were only going to be on this island and, and this friendship feud was going to be the entire movie. I thought the beginning, oh, okay, this is just the launching pad to something else. Right. And and then understanding that this is the actual film, to go back and see that first 30 minutes, I, I think I'll cherish it. Yeah. No, it's such a, such a great movie. I, I hope that this one is in contention for serious Oscars at the end. So I, I think it will be. How about a jaw-dropping moment from it, Matt? The jaw-dropping moment is, um, well, let's just call them little knocks on Paul Rick's door. And I won't spoil exactly what those little knocks are and how they arrive, but didn't expect that. Kind of a jaw-dropper. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm dancing around spoilers here as well, but it is the first time that Gleason, who has uh, approached... Um, Colin Farrell's character and says, hey, if you don't leave me alone, this is what I'm going to do. Once he follows through with that, I'm like, wow, okay, we are going to go there. That's that's when I it clicked in actually at that point in the movie, like, oh, this is the whole entire film is about yeah. this central point. And then I was on board the rest of the way, but it took all the way up until Gleason going through doing what he said he was going to do until I realized that. But by far like sort of shocking moment definitely a jaw-dropping literally moment yeah yeah how about a quote rye i went with a dark meaningful comedy not for the dullards mm. meaningful about meaninglessness interesting <laughs> at least that's what i get uh, my quote is banshees whale so we laugh it's trying to be artistic with it ryan it's my legacy on a, on a four jaw scale matt four jaws this is a four jaw movie. Maybe my first four jaws of the year. I Holy think. cow. No, we gotta go back. Phil's I wagging think, his head. No. Yeah. Everything everywhere you, all at once came out this year. Oh, yes. correct. Correct. And also, I think you were very high on the Batman. I don't know if you want a full four, but you were I high on, on the Batman. I was. Uh, I was at three and a half jaws for Banshees. Also liked it quite a bit. Definitely one of the better films of the year. Jawheads, Banshees is playing in limited release. It's going to be sort of that platform. It's going to grow if get out there more in the country, but it is playing in all the larger cities currently. If you see it, agree, disagree, just want to comment on the review, we are at CinemaJaw on Twitter, Facebook, or you can always write us feedback at CinemaJaw.com. Let us know what you think, guys. Second review, Matt K. Decision to Leave. Director Park Chan-wook came onto our radar back in 2003 when he released his twisted masterpiece, Old Boy. In 2016, he made a film that made my top 10 of the year titled The Handmaiden. He is back with a detective love story in Decision to Leave. I had this very highly ranked coming out of TIFF, and now Matt Kay was able to catch up with it as well.
Decision to leave opens up with a detective investigating the death of a man who fell off a mountain while hiking. When the dead man's wife comes into the station for questioning, Detective Hey June is instantly captivated by her. His own life has become mundane. He works in the city investigating murders and only sees his wife on the weekends. He decides to track the woman down and see what her day-to-day life is like. Talking to her more, he begins to fall in love with her. At the same time, the investigation into her husband's death is becoming to look more and more like a murder. Less worthy films would cheapen out and simply make the detective choose love or justice, but the brilliance of Park Chan-wook is how he is able to balance the decision and make the choice extremely difficult. The case rests, and the characters meet again years later, and guess what? We have another suspicious death. Decision to leave is not interested in trying to tie up the story neatly. It wants to tug at your love strings and give you something to talk about when you leave the theater. I found the story to be very engrossing. I love all the detective work on the first case, but was also won over by the love story. This is a romantic film, and the crazy thing is, it's also a damn good procedural as well. My emotions were confused, and I say that as a compliment. Matt, were you a fan of the film as well? Yeah, and I think one of the things you're leaving out is the beauty of the cinematography. In particular, there's this overhead shot when there's a, there's a highway that goes between two bodies of water. It's probably like the ocean in a bay, you know? And he he frames it just so, so the, the highway's in the center of the shot. Great shot. There's also some wonderful shots of the the uh, the scenery because one of the characters is afraid of high places and they, they use that well with the camera. Um, and, and, and can I cut in there? Because yeah. you, you mentioned about him being um, afraid of high places. I actually found, if I was going to relate this to a film, uh, and it's a classic film regarded Vertigo. by many as one of the greatest films of all time, is Vertigo. And so that's paying it the ultimate highest, highest compliment. Um, to no be pun intended. With a, <laughs> yes, to be compared with a, a Hitchcock masterpiece, Vertigo. But I do think it, it draws a lot of comparisons, don't What's, you? That's interesting. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing coming out of there. Um, I, that's where I was just about to go. It's Vertigo, yeah. Well done, Ryan, the movie guy. I agree. Um, this is comparable. It's, it's a noir tragedy romance. Wonderful. And, and you're right, the procedurals are there. Um, you got the cop and his partner and, and the clues that they find. And it's just another comparison I would draw is Chinatown, honestly, um, which is a, another fantastic. Some people call that the greatest film ever made. You know, right. it's up there with Citizen Kane for sure. Yeah, I, I love that there's these dual themes going on, that the detective is falling in love. And we, we I think people who really like this film like I do are going to find that storyline compelling enough that it's a very romantic story, this love story at the center of it, but at the same exact time trying to solve exactly who was the murderer in the first case and exactly how they actually got away with murder was fascinating as well. So you actually have like basically two movies going at the same time and and then there's a third absolutely perfectly. And then a third one sneaks in, right? Yeah. Which, okay. So let me pump the brake slightly. I am, I'm comparing it to those two movies, but I am not putting it quite on the same pedestal as those two movies. There is a, a small problem with the pace and maybe it's because we're reading subtitles here. This is a, a, a film from Korea. So maybe that has something to do with it, but it did feel a little long, a little, indulgent in that way has Mm -hmm. he earned that he certainly has but i think it could have benefited from a few edits i I do think it could have been trimmed down a little bit but i do i i thought the pacing was important for you to it's it's, sometimes you need those slow burns to really relate to the characters maybe and i think decision to leave needed that so i think the pacing was okay but it probably was a little bit longer than it needed to be but i was engrossed the entire time i thought the acting was great you're right the cinematography fantastic and it's just one of those movies that once i was sitting there it it, a lot of times you like to say like you're in the hands of a master this guy knows how to make great cinema and so i'm just i'm just along for the ride i'm like man this is wild that i'm caring about this but I want someone to get caught for this. 
and now I don't want the person to get caught. All of those emotions stirring is a great thing. It's not just a simple point yeah. A to point B. You never know quite where people are in terms of what's in their heart until the very end, um, mm-hmm. which was which was good. Also, want to talk about the the title decision to leave and how that comes in repeatedly throughout the movie. There are these small decisions to leave that add up to a couple of very big, well, let's say three very big decisions to leave, which, um, man, what a great title. And, and that's rare in a foreign film for uh, a title to translate so well and be so central to what's actually going on in, in a film, in a movie. Like, can't really even think of like old boy. Really? What does that mean to the story? Not much. Mm-hmm. Maybe right. it means a lot in Korea, um, but it doesn't translate well here translates perfectly. The decision to leave comes into play many times in this movie. Agreed. Lastly, without uh, giving spoilers here, I did want to talk about the ending. Very tough Mm -hmm. to do when we're we're dancing around spoilers, but what a climactic ending. I mean, impactful, right? I mean, a lot of times- waves, yeah. Yes, with the water, uh, we get that shot, like you mentioned, of the highway with with the ocean on one side and the bay, and- what what one character is doing while another character is trying to reach this person like like i was nervous and excited i it's tough to explain exactly what was going on in in the, uh in my body at the time except to say i was completely engrossed by the ending of what was going to happen here and and that's the best man yeah oh we said we were going to talk about this i got to see this in in a private screening and I agree that ending was was engrossing. I was in a theater all by myself at the music box. Did did we do we tell the story yet on this no, episode? We, we haven't. I, I just said at the beginning that that we would touch on it. So we, we might as well talk about yeah. it really quick here. So you went to the music box for another reason uh, right. to talk about something podcast related here. And it turns out what happened here. You were supposed to see this movie at a different theater and, and you couldn't make it right. Take right. It from yeah. There. It is. OK. So I went to the AMC on Tuesday to see this film and it was or Wednesday, whatever. It was sold out. So the, the next entire th- day, the entire day, all three screenings were sold out. So I guess that bodes well for this picture. Uh, I was at the music box, like you said, to talk to Ryan Ostrike, our friend who's been on the show a few times. And um, I was just chit chatting with him after our meeting, like, you know, what's going on? I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to see Banshees. Uh, sorry, I'm supposed to see Decision to Leave but I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. And he's like, hang on a second. He texts somebody on his phone. He's like, I'll show it for you in theater too. And for those who haven't been to the music box, they have this one theater, theater one, which is a giant, what what would you say, right? Like 600 seat auditorium? Yeah, 600 seats. One, the old classic style theater that's absolutely gorgeous with, right. you know, the organ and, and the balconies and everything. Yeah, more like a vaudeville stage, honestly. And mm-hmm. then they have this one that's more very, very small. Um, probably like a 30 seater. Yeah. Maybe 50, something like that. Yeah. Something like that. So I was in that one, the smaller one, first time I've ever been in there all by myself, just me. They, they started, are you ready, Matt? We're going to hit play. And, uh, that was an experience, man. My first private screening ever. That is so cool. Absolutely. So for decision to leave, was there a jaw dropping moment for you, Matt? Um, my jaw dropping moment was the return of, uh, the 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 femme fatale when she mm. comes back into his life you kind of think was... the movie's going to be over and mm-hmm. it's not yes another act plays out i i like that beat in the film as well for me it's when the detective hey june uh, finds the phone it, it, the steps on a on a phone come into big play here in the detective story as far as how many steps you take in a day i wonder if this it got me thinking of like all these Fitbits that people are wearing. If somewhere in the future, people, or even today, people are, detectives are using oh, sure. Fitbit technology to f- solve a crime. 100%. 100%. And, and, and here it comes in, and I never really thought about it, and I loved that detective work where, and uh, it'd be too tough to explain everything, but he gets and a phone that realizes, right, and I don't want to explain everything, um, but it, he realizes how many steps one character must have taken, and then we go through the crime scene. Going through the crime scene of, of seeing how something could have happened, oh my God, I, I was dazzled by it. I was so excited during that, like, 20 minutes of film as he's trying to piece this murder together. It was fantastic. Did, did you happen to notice the number on the phone? Oh, yes, yes. Okay, it was 138. 
It was 138. It's <laughs> my favorite number, everybody. I wonder why. Good anyway. stuff. Uh, how about a movie poster quote, Matt? My movie poster quote is, make a decision to stay in decision to leave. Yours is a little clunky, but we went for the same thing. I went with, see this movie. It's an easy decision. Oh, well done, Ryan. How many, yeah. how many jaws are you giving this? I'm at four jaws on this one. So I was totally on board with this one. I loved decision to leave. How about you? Oh, I loved it as well, but I would back it down from four just slightly and say 3.75. Okay. 3.75. It's, it's up there. It's really good. I, I do think that it was a little indulgent in its, its length. Decision to leave another one of these. Uh, it's going to be a big Oscar movie, I'm sure, for foreign film. It's playing in limited release. Check your listings. I'm sure it'll open up to more cities as we go through the year. See it. Let us know what you think. Hit us up on Twitter. We are at CinemaJaw. We're halfway through, Matt. We still have a Cinema War, Scream vs. Halloween, plus a review of the new Netflix thriller, The Good Nurse. Stick with us, Jawheads. We close out Colin Farrell month with one of his iconic roles from In Bruges. This is the previous film where Colin Farrell worked with Brendan Gleeson and Martin McDonough. Enjoy. I wasn't going to go through with it, right? You fucking looked like you were going to go fucking through with it. Where'd you get that gun? It's a friend of Hardy's. Fuck, man. Let me see it. Silence of two. Nice. Mine's a bloody girl's gun. I'm keeping it. Pardon me? Give me me gun back. Let's get back. A suicide case. And you're trying to shoot me in the fucking head. You're not getting that gun back. How great day this has turned out to be. I'm suicidal. Me mate tries to kill me. Me gun gets nicked and we're still in fucking bruise. Listen, I'm gonna give you some money and put you on a train somewhere. Back to England? Go back to England, Ray. You'll be a dead man. I don't want to be a dead man. Since you've been missing something. I don't want to be a dead man, Ray. Right? <laughs> I killed a little boy. <laughs> Cinema Jaws brought to you by the guys over at Cracking the Code of Spy Movies podcast. If you're into spy movies and you're into podcasts, you should definitely listen to this one. Then you know what? I'll let them tell you about it. You love spy movies? Well, our show is all about spy movies from the classics like The 39 Steps, The Ipcris File, to James Bond, Mission Impossible, and current releases like No Time to Die. This is Dan Silvestri. And Tom Pizzotto. Just go to your favorite podcast app and search Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. Do the same on YouTube. Our show decodes key scenes, dives into connections and influences from other movies, does interviews with actors and directors, and keeps you informed with our spy movie news segment, all while having fun. Podcasts and YouTube videos. Join us on Cracking the Code of Spy Movies. And we are back on Cinema Jaw. Before we get to our review of The Good Nurse, play some movie trivia, and have a cinema war. We threw, I know, at least one item into the fish tank. Phil? Phil, are you there? Wait a moment! It's fish! Isn't it? DC! Wake up! Wake up! No, Pat, it's a giant glass bowl! Hey, get some fish, folks! Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's a second message. That means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. Hello, thank you so much for letting me out this week. We do, we only have one in here, uh, and it is, man, Colin Farrell, 
that's how you make an impact, at least on Halloween, is you wear leather pants and a rubber t-shirt because this has been the most Colin Farrell day out of Colin Farrell month. Uh, did he win an, does he have an Oscar nomination? Uh, no. So unfortunately, Colin Farrell does not yet have any Oscar nominations. However, he does have two Golden Globe nominations. So not quite as prestigious, but they're there. Uh, one for Best Actor in The Lobster and one for Best Actor in Imbruge. The Imbruge one, he, he even would win. That makes a lot of sense. It does. Um, and I know that Golden Globes separate comedy and drama. And both those, I'm sure, were for comedy, which is like yes. just perfect. You know what I mean? So um, good stuff. Hey, while we're in the fish tank, I saw, finally caught up with one of the most exciting films, honestly, of, of 2022. We didn't cover it here on Cinema Jaw. It is entitled Barbarian. And this played for a month in theaters. I remember the screening was right when I was leaving for Toronto. And so I missed it. And when I was checking Twitter, people that, that I follow, uh, friends of the show, uh, fellow critics, were tweeting like, oh my God, just blown away by Barbarian. And so I had this thing on my radar to watch. It's on HBO Max now, Jawheads. If you haven't seen it, please do. And I didn't want to review it here on the show because it's definitely a film, the less you know going in, the better the experience of viewing is going to be. It is a horror film, but it's a, a thriller, and it goes places that I, I think will shock most everybody, and that's part of the fun. And it does have a lot of humor in there, supplied by Justin Long. All I can say is see Barbarian as soon as you can. It's on HBO Max, and it's a complete blast, so check it out. All right, that's everything in the fish tank. That's all we got this week. Jump back in there. Oh, you bet. Matt, it brings us to a segment called Cinema War. And the war, it works like this. Me and Matt, we're fighting on a topic. And our guest and jury, Phil, this week gets to pick a winner and decide who he thinks won the Cinema War. We talked last week about Scream versus Halloween. What's our topic this week, Phil? Listeners, beware, because you're in for a scare. This week on Cinema Jaw, we're resurrecting the ghost of segments past with a bloody good cinema war. Matt and Ryan are splaying their guts out onto the floor, walls, and ceiling as we cut the Halloween conversation into itty-bitty pieces. Which of the spooky season's slasher flicks has the best first five films in their franchise. Matt's fighting for the season of the witch during the season of the witch with Halloween, and Ryan's making us shriek. Maybe we'll shout, and dare I say, probably even scream, with his stance that the Scream series is the best with the first five slasher fix. Let this spooky, scary cinema war begin. Matt, you are blinded by your own nostalgia glasses here. I agree, like most everyone, the first Halloween is a masterpiece. However, the first Scream film is no slouch in the department. It is also a classic, and while comparing just those films, Halloween might have a small edge, but the difference in quality of Scream 2 through 5, all good, compared to Halloween 2 through 5, no contest. Scream is a better series. Uh, I disagree, Ryan. You are so milk toast. Of course you pick Scream over Halloween. It's like picking Friends over Seinfeld or Jelly over Peanut Butter. It's saccharine nonsense. Scream is a fun series, sure, but artificial to the genuine authenticity of Halloween. Simple but true here, Matt. The main stars of Scream appear in all five movies. That can't be said for Halloween. Scream is more engrossing linear story. Yeah, because they couldn't kill their big, their big stars, I guess. Scream is a metafilm that doesn't exist without the prototype of Halloween. The whole shtick of the Scream series is a deconstruction of horror and slasher films. So many horror tropes that Scream relies on were born in the Halloween series. Scream owes its existence to Halloween. Let's get some stats here. Rotten Tomatoes score shows only one of the first five Halloween movies is fresh, that being the first film. Scream, however, all the movies are fresh except for the third one. Another thing is that the Scream movies added humor and 
are just more fun in general than watching a guy who is unable to run stalk people. Hmm. I disagree completely. The music alone, Ryan, the music alone. How do you give up that genius level John Carpenter Halloween score? If for no other reason than the music, the Halloween series is better. Bigger names, bigger series. Nev Campbell, Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, Drew Barrymore, Patrick Dempsey, Anna Paquin, Emma Roberts, Sarah Michelle Geller, and Henry Effin Winkler have appeared in Scream films. Who do you have in Halloween? Jamie Lee Curtis and a guy in a mask that looks like William Shatner. Jamie Lee's all you need. Listen, both series are anchored by their first entry. Scream is a darn good horror film. But the original Halloween, you said it yourself, Ryan, is a masterpiece. You can make the case that the Scream sequels are slightly better. But then you get a season of The Witch that almost has its own cult following, aside from the Michael Myers stuff. There is deeper lore, a more interesting timeline in Halloween. Better directors have tackled the series. And Michael Myers is just way more iconic than Ghostface. Trick or treat, motherfucker. We are buttonheads here on Cinema War as we do. We throw it to our guest, our jury. Phil, what did you think of this Cinema War? This is horrible. To use a word I learned from Matt, I'm feeling incredibly bifurcated uh, between the two of you. It's like I'm being, what's that thing where I'm tied on a horse and being pulled apart? Drawn and quartered? That, that's what it feels like. Here's the thing, right? So... I am leaving my objectivity or my subjectivity to the wall because I do I, I came in here with a little bit of bias, but I'm putting that to the side. I'm thinking, right? Ryan's got good points about the longevity of the cast. Ryan's got good points about <clears throat> uh, uh, that they they made it a more cohesive story film to film, right? By keeping and the, the names are bigger. Ryan's, Matt's got really great points with the music, and Matt's got really great points with it being derivative uh, of Halloween. It's truly uh, uh, an apples and oranges situation where there is no right nor wrong. However, since you have to pick one, since I have to pick one, that because of the music point, yes! Matt <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> it, that is the one that just barely tipped the scale, but he's 100% correct, I think. Uh, it, it is iconic when you think of scary songs, you think of spooky, scary skeletons, you think of the Monster Mash, and you think of like the little doo-doo-doo-doo. I mean, it's... Yeah. It's iconic. Right. You could really just have uh, a two-hour movie where you're just playing the Halloween theme song, and it would still be scary. <laughs> Until Matt made that point, Ryan was winning in mm. my book, for the mm. record, uh, which is not what I agree with. I, I think the better series is Halloween. Uh and I was, you I, mean didn't scream. have a reason yeah. why, but until Matt made the music one, that's like, okay, yeah, that's that's, that's what why. it is. Oh, okay. So, so here's the thing, I, before you get your 20 seconds to say whatever, uh, talking about the music, it's another point of how bad Halloween ends was they didn't utilize the music enough, right? It Not only comes up. Like, and it's like, guys, if this is really going to be the last one, give me the damn music a few times, you know what I mean? And make it even uh, more dramatic when it finally does come on, much like Creed did when the Rocky music finally came on. It was like a moment of emotional elation. They could have done something great with when the Halloween music finally played and ends, and they dropped the ball there as well. They dropped the ball big time. That's my little rant, and I didn't even win. I just wanted to mention that since you did bring up the music. Yeah. But anything you want to say, Matt? Okay, I would, I would make a fifth point here. Also, Ryan, here's another reason why Halloween is more important and better. Um, the, the, the titles, the title sequence, which has been aped by Stranger Things, just, just that style of opening. When John Carpenter made the original Halloween, I think it's up there with with anything Hitchcock has done in terms of it just being that good of a of a masterpiece. It, it's it's flawless, except for maybe PJ Souls, and that pains me to say because she's Riff Randall and I love her to death. But that movie is is damn near perfect. I love Halloween. There we go. All right, Halloween wins this Cinema War. It was a good one, Matt. 
We got one more review for the Jawheads before we get to stump the Kabinsky. We do. The Good Nurse, Ryan. Jessica Chastain and Eddie Redmayne star in The Good Nurse, a dramatic thriller about the true story of Charlie Cullen, an American serial killer who used his access as a nurse to kill his victims in the hospital. But can this movie about a well-known story thrill us or it is or is it a drip? Ryan and I checked in to find out. He's been at nine hospitals. Nine. What do you mean? No, the hospital would have done something. You would think so. so. Yeah. Do you remember working with someone named Charlie Cullen? Yeah. There was a rumor about him. They found insulin in a dead guy's sailing bag. Come, sit. Why are you being weird, Mom? Director Tobias Lindholm has delivered a concise and tight little true crime thriller in The Good Nurse, but it's nothing to write home about. If you're not aware of the Charlie Cullen story, he was a nurse who worked at far too many hospitals where he was usually suspected of killing patients by injecting IV bags with medications. But because of the protective and litigious nature of the medical industry, he slipped from job to job unfettered. Some estimate he may have killed as many as 400 people, but at least 40. It's a truly horrific story that I remember hearing about in the news at the time. The Good Nurse is about his last job, where he meets Amy Longgren, played by Chastain, who would eventually be the key to stopping the murders. This movie rests firmly on the shoulders of its two leads and just about nowhere else. If there's a main criticism, it's that the investigation and police procedural parts could have been elaborated on much better. What is so interesting about the Cullen story is how he slipped from job to job, usually highly suspected of wrongdoing, and how those suspicions got caught in so much red tape. However, the tension and emotion from Jessica and Eddie are more than enough to make up for this shortcoming. Those two were fantastic. What will unnerve you most is how friend friendly Redmayne can play Charlie, thoughtful, caring and supportive one moment. And then when the mask falls, you see the monster and it's all that much more startling. He nailed it. This film left me with that uneasy feeling of paranoia and doubt, that feeling that there are certainly psychopaths among us and far too often they find a way to play within the system. The good nurse is a great example of that. And in that way, the story, the story will sicken you. Do check this one out. Yeah, I really went for this picture. I, I think what helped me, and you mentioned that you were familiar with this story. I went into this movie um, not knowing much about it. I, and I loved that for me, the first like 15 minutes, maybe even 20 minutes of the film was going a different direction until Redmayne's character uh, Colin shows up. I, I thought this was going to be a medical drama. To be honest, I hadn't seen a trailer for this. I just knew the stars were in it, and let's check it out. And early on in the film, we, we meet Chastain's character, who is a nurse, working very long hours, a single mother who doesn't have health insurance, and she has a heart condition. I literally thought that was going to be the plot of the movie. It was going to have to do with like not Her, having yeah. health insurance and she's a, you know, a, a health worker. That's where I thought this was going. Then they introduce um, Redmayne's character who I think is going to like help her sort of uncover this to the public that, you know, people need health insurance. That's where I thought this was going. And then for it to slightly turn into this serial killer movie, really, really got me. I was like, Oh my God, this is where this is going. Yeah. I had but no idea. That experience is going to be very limited to just you, Ryan, because I think everyone knows this story. Yes. I, I agree. As I, I mentioned to other people like, Oh yeah, well I remember hearing this in the news and I was like, Oh man, I don't know where I was, but this was a news story. I was not as familiar with as I should have been. Obviously after hearing the numbers, you're right. They do mention he may have killed upwards of 400 people. He, he doesn't even remember the names of the victims or exactly what hospitals they were at because he was doing it so often. Um, and, and I do want to mention, yeah, both the leads are fantastic. Redmayne really being the highlight for me. And you're right. I thought it was just chilling to see 
the masks come off at the end when the detectives are trying to finally get this confession from him. My goodness. I mean, it, it just gave me the willies to watch this monster actually come out of, of Redmayne, who earlier was so carrying around uh, Chastain's children in the movie and so forth. Oh, creepy, creepy, very creepy. Well, I think they could have done more of that. Is he isn't he at least for, for the sake of the character and then some more of the police procedural like they're building their case. It kind of flies through it, I think. Yeah. And, and it could have been a little bit smarter with the detective work. You're right. Once. There, there's, a, there's a moment in the movie where the detectives ask the nurse if a, a particular medication could kill the patient. And I just thought to myself, I know they're, they're doing it in, for us, the viewers, to have this moment, this exchange. But let's be honest, the detectives would have done their detective work before they're actually talking to the nurse to know if a particular medication could have killed somebody. Could you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. They, they wouldn't have got to that point and then like, do you think this could have killed somebody? They would have done their work already at that point. But it's a little weak writing there, but I, I think that could have been better and made this even more compelling. But I was completely along for the ride anyways. Yeah, me too. It, it Like I said in my review, I think it without Chastain and Redmayne, you don't get this movie. It would have been crap mm-hmm. because the story wasn't written all that well, and, but it and was good so, enough. And so my jaw dropping moment, and I guess we'll go there, is to the point of you saying they could have uh, played with that uh, a little bit longer of is Redmayne's character good or evil kind of feeling. Mm-hmm. And I think where it comes up the absolute best, and for me, really one of the better scenes of the year, to be honest, is once Jessica Chastain's character knows that his character is pure evil. Um, it's been proven by the detectives. They're looking at at all this backlog of, of history through the hospitals. At this point, she's talked to a fellow nurse that worked with them. She knows how evil this man is. And she comes home to her house, and he's in the house with her kids, Um Wow, so much goes on in this scene. Number one, you have the idea that Chastain's character is just flat out scared to be in the same room with them. So that's surface level. But then you have this idea of, does Redmayne's character know that she knows? Right. And then later in the scene, is he just so demented that he almost separates himself when he's in this type of environment as compared to being this serial killer when he's in the hospital? And... He takes so long to leave her place. You're not sure if she's going to be able to get him out of the apartment or not. What's going to happen there? That was, for me, a very thrilling and tense 10, 15 minutes of, of film. That's a good pick, man, for, for the jaw-dropping moment. Mine was um, toward the end of the movie. I can't really exactly spoil what happens in the scene, but I'm going to call it Amy's interrogation. When she finally gets answers and gets to talk to him, um, about how he did this and why. And that's when the mask falls away and you, you're just left to stare at this bear monster. Oof. Redman killed it. It was a great scene. No pun intended. Yeah. No pun Movie intended. Movie poster quote? True crime gets another new job. I went with the good nurse is actually better than just good. I would agree with that. How many jaws are you giving this thing? I went three. I'm dusting off the quarter jaw, three and a quarter jaws for the good nurse. I've been using those damn quarter jaws too much, man. I'm going three jaws for the good nurse. It is a good movie. Um, definitely worth a spin for sure. Tight little yes. thriller. Absolutely. The good nurse streaming on Netflix. So if you have a subscription, all you got to do is hit play right there. We are recommending it. Let us know what you think. Shoot us a tweet. We are at cinema jaw and we'll get the discussion going. Brings us to the end of the jaw, and we always like to play some trivia, usually with the guest, but without a guest, we play Stump the Kabinsky, and it works like this. Five questions. Matt has to get three correct not to be stumped. I gave him a bonus question, so he can actually get six correct on this one in honor of Colin Farrell, who we believe will get his first Oscar nomination. We are playing Colin Farrell movie trivia. Hey, don't you still owe me a case of beer from that time I got all six correct? Or did we no, double or be, nothing? You you doubled down the next episode and you lost it all. Oh, and bummer. I've been buying Matt beer ever since. We how, go out how, to the haunted house. Who brings the beer? Riley uh, movie guy. I guess you did bring the beer that night. Yeah, Matt well done. Matt comes over the next week and records at my house. Who has a bunch of tall boys for Matt? Riley the movie guy. I always, I always got Matt's alcoholic habit and... 
I, I take good care of him. Thanks, Ryan. You I, know what? I I'm think joking I owe about you a beer. his habit. <laughs> yeah. He just enjoys a beer like us. All right, here we go. Question number one. Are you ready for it, Matt? I'm ready. Colin Farrell appeared in the 2009 film Crazy Heart. Which actor played the lead, which won him his only Academy Award? Crazy Heart. Jeff Bridges? That is correct. You were unsure, but you answered it correctly. Say it like you know it. Jeff Bridges. There we go. Absolutely, Matt K. One question, one correct. Question two over to Matt. Colin Farrell has appeared in one film with Jennifer Aniston. Can you name it? Bad Bosses. We'll give you a second chance. Uh, you're very close, but uh, not absolutely correct. It's something like that. Um, very, very close, yes. Maybe just a different adjective. Oh. Um, terrible bosses. I got to X you on this one. It's horrible bosses. Oh, horrible come on. Bosses. I got to so I got to We're looking for an exact movie title. You know what I mean? Um, two questions, one correct out of Matt. Question three, you can get two questions. Uh, you can get two points if you answer both of them. Here we go. In 2011 and 2012, Colin Farrell made back-to-back -back movies that were remakes. One was a remake of an 80s horror film. The other was a remake of a 1990s sci-fi film. Name one of them. Or bonus point, if you can name both. Okay, well, one of them was Total Recall. That is correct. So he's got one point. He can get a bonus point. You said an 80s horror film and a 90s sci-fi film? Yeah, the 90s sci-fi film was Total Recall. And God, so now, was, what was Total the, Recall in the 90s? 1990. Okay. 1990. Wow. All right. Um, so, so now we're looking for an 80s horror film. Yeah. What did he? What 80s horror film did he remake? Hmm. It wasn't one of the big franchises. Um, Need a guess here. 1980s remake Colin Farrell horror movie. Bonus point on the line. Boy, I don't know, man. Totally stumped. We're looking for Fright Night. Ugh, I never saw it. I didn't see the remake, so. Okay. I have not seen the remake either. It does have a decent score on Rotten Tomatoes. So hmm. maybe, maybe I'll watch it sometime. Matt does have two correct now through three questions with two to go. He needs to get one of these two. Matt, Farrell appeared in one film directed by Tim Burton. It came out in 2019. Oh, wow. Colin Farrell in a Tim Burton directed film came out in 2019. Holy crap. Holy man. What did Tim Burton do in 2019? Seems like a lifetime ago, right? Must not have been great. Tim Burton directed it? Correct. Why? How's... Hmm. Um, Beetlejuice 2. Hmm. This film was reviewed on the job by yours truly. I think you skipped it. We're looking for Dumbo, the live oh, action Oh, I didn't Dumbo. skip it. I wish I had. <laughs> Damn it. Yes, yes, Colin Farrell was in Dumbo. Yeah, um, what a piece of crap movie that was. We are through four questions. Matt has two correct, so it comes down to the last question. Is he stumped or isn't he? Here you go, Matt. In 2004, Colin Farrell played the title role in a film that also starred Anthony Hopkins, Angelina Jolie, Val Kilmer, and Jared Leto. Name the film. What year? 2004. Colin Farrell plays the title role in a film that stars Anthony Hopkins, Angelina Jolie, Val Kilmer, and Jared Leto. He is thinking. Does he have wow. anything? I don't know. 2004? 2004. Large cast. Title role. Was that... Um... Is that Beowulf? Ah, oh, incorrect. We're looking for Alexander, as in mm. Alexander the Great. Yeah, didn't mm. see that one either. No. 
Matt is stumped this week, getting two out of five. What else is new? <laughs> There's always next week, Matt K. But it's been a great month, guys, celebrating Colin Farrell. It has. And first and foremost, we got to thank Phil, who's in an art show out there in Seattle, Phil. Oh, yes. Thank you so much. Uh, November 19th at the Pancakes and Booze Art Show at El Corazon in Capitol Hill, Seattle. Uh, I will have seven pieces on display and prints for sale. If you live in the P&W, we'd love to have you out there. Uh, sadly, it is uh, outside of spooky season, but that's okay. We, we had a blast this Halloween season. And let's plug this really quick, because if they want to get a, a look at your art, you are on Instagram. Yes, yes, yes. It's been a while since I've had to do this. It's uh, at Pete underscore Chan underscore art. Uh, P Chan art is is my handle just about everywhere. Uh, just make sure you pop those underscores in there. And you can even see a peek at uh, a piece that I am. I am. What's the word uh, uh, for the first time you exhibit it? What's that Debuting? word? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on my Instagram. That's what I posted this week. Nice. Awesome. check that out we also got to thank the sponsors yeah thanks to overcast and thanks to cracking the code of spy movies uh they've been with us for a while and we appreciate it absolutely thanks for the support and speaking of the support let's thank our patreons if you want to join our family of patreons the easiest way to do so is just go to patreon.com slash cinema jaw it would mean the world to us if you could support us there we're doing a lot of extras and uh just join the family of patreons we're gonna be doing willow right ryan Yes, we saw the first three episodes of Willow already. It doesn't come out for another month, but I I knew that was a good sign. Behind the scenes stuff here. Whenever the studio comes out and gives you a preview screening a month in advance, they want you to start talking about it. So we will start talking about Willow uh, probably as an extra for our Patreons. Yeah, so get involved with that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yes. The other way to support the show is by leaving us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast and by clicking subscribe there. It always helps us, guys. Until next week, I'm Ryan, the movie guy. And I'm Matt K. And, and keep, keep on John about, about the movies. movies.